Hi, Frank. Um, it's another month and it's another uh, time for us to do Frankly Speaking. Just for those of us who haven't met us before, I'm Elliot Berman, the creative director here at AML Right Source. And uh, Frank, you know that you're Frank Ewing, the CEO. Every day. <laughs> That's every right, day. every day. Um, we talk about business topics and this week, uh, or this month rather, we thought we'd talk about um, building effective teams. So let's start at the highest level. When you start wow. to think about putting a team together, Let's really start with thanking our nine listeners, my mom, and we've picked up picked up a new listener in the city of Buffalo, uh, Anne-Marie Salino. I have to say hello. She said she's listened to all of these in her house, which is like, who would do that? So um, yeah. on like with the speakers, like, you know, with like the Sonos or whatever going. So I was like, that's, that's a bold, that's bold. So that's uh, true. That's, I think she becomes one of our platinum watchers. So that's a good thing. <laughs> it doesn't take much, man. That's true. So, yeah. So, uh, and our friends in, in South America, what's up? So, all right. Now, if okay. you can ask building question. teams, building teams. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is, this is something that, you know, affects, I think every layer um, of an organization. Right. And, and, you know, for me, you know, as a CEO of a, you know, large, international company now. Um, you know, it's kind of my only job. But what we can get into that maybe a little bit later, you know, I think about when I started, you know, my career, uh, you know, it's kind of this um, in this management program with HSBC back in, you know, 2002 or something like that. And, and uh, kind of the fact that they had these management programs, I thought was kind of funny, you know, they like plop you into like, you're like 22. And you're like, plopped in and all of a sudden you're, you know, uh, thinking that you're, you know, bossing around or, or running, you know, some sort of like small team or, you know, a branch or something like that. And you shortly realize that you have no idea what you're doing. And, and maybe that's the point of the program, but it wasn't. Um, I, I guess when you think about it now, having kind of both ends of the experience of like being a noob, and learning how to manage and being, you know, allegedly for those who are just listening, air quotes, a, a you know, seasoned um, senior executive now, you know, going back on both of those experiences, you, you can't have a team without trust. Trust is maybe the single most important kind of aspect or ingredient to, to any team. And that's not to say that skill isn't important, right? I mean, you can't, you know, you can't run, uh, you will we'll stay with the bank, you know, example, you know, the branch, right? Example, like you, you can't, can't run the branch unless like you have somebody who knows how to like operate the ATMs, right? Or, you know, and, and somebody who actually knows, like knows how to get in and out of the vault and do all the security stuff, right? But, so, so I want to put that to the side, right? Because I think fundamentally any team, whether it's a sports team or work team, you know, there are specialists, right? There are certain levels of, of skill um, that, that matter that you have to have, you know, take, you know, my current team, like we have to have a CFO and like not a lot of people can do that. It's a very specific, you know, skill set. Um, that aside though, whether it's, you know, a, a branch, you know, at a bank or it's a sports team or whatever, you have to have trust. It, it, it is, the single most important thing. And, and I think if you even harken back to the first, you know, youth soccer team you've ever played on or the little league team or, or, or math team or whatever, you know, whatever dance team, whatever it might be, 
um, knowing that you could look to your left or to your right and that person um, had your back or that person was going to, you know, zig and zag. And maybe, maybe when you had your worst day, they had their best day. Um, knowing that that's that level of trust that they could pick you up or give you advice and you'd be okay with it. Um, I think is, is the fundamental underpinning of any successful team and likely the most important attribute or aspect that a leader or an organizer should look for as they're building a team. Can I trust this person? And just one more thing on this. I, I know I talked about skills, but you know, smarts are important too. And, and so this is not to say that, you know, smarts that you don't, you know, kind of like that's table stakes, right? But I, I, I challenge the notion that smarts are more important than trust because you wouldn't necessarily, hopefully, trust somebody who doesn't have the tech, technical acumen to carry out whatever the work or, or job, you know, is. And, and so to me, trust is the single most, single most important thing. And I agree with that. I think trust is critical. It's in many respects, it's the glue um, that holds teams together. Um, and we, as you said, you know, having technical expertise for whatever the team's purposes are um, is necessary. Um, what other things do you uh, look for when you're forming up a team? And, and the thing I'm thinking of, um, not, not to, you know, sort of play a guessing game here, is the idea of bringing, you know, diversity, which is a hot word, um, but I'm thinking about diversity in terms of perspectives, experience, um, those kinds of things, because as teams do what they do, whether it's make decisions or implement decisions, um, uh, too many opinions creates noise, but more perspective, in my experience, generally gets you a, a better outcome. And I guess I want to see how you feel about that. Yeah, strongly. You know, I mean, you know, diversity, you know, capital D diversity, you know, super important, clearly, you know, and in, in, in something that, you know, you, you should strive for, but you should strive for it, not just for the sake of diversity, because you should actually be striving for diversity of thought and experience. And, and so, you know, lowercase d diversity, I suppose. And, and I think that's where you're, you're kind of hitting me there. You know, the, 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 and I can tell you, one of the biggest mistakes I made um, in the early days of this company or the second version of this company, harken back to like 2013, 14, when I was doing a lot of the hiring was even at the analyst level, right? Even though I was a, an owner and a partner and, you know, running all sorts of stuff, I still would interview every single entry level analyst and, and what I would find is when I really kind of sat back and looked at attrition and, and um, you know, kind of um, growth within the organization from those levels and, and especially kind of the mid-manager level, I was just hiring people who I like, not who I liked, that's the wrong way to say it, but I was hiring people who I resonated with. I was hiring people who thought like me, who acted like me who took the same approach, you know, that, that I have, who probably like on a Myers-Briggs were like an ENTJ or something like that. Right. right. Um, and, and that's, and that was a fundamental mistake. It was, it was completely wrong. 
you know, like, it, I don't know, like, people talk about like, oh, I'm a type A, like whatever the hell that means. But, you know, but what I found was like, I was hiring a lot of people who like wanted to be the CEO tomorrow. Cause like, that's my, attitude, right. <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't good. Um, but <laughs> too much competition. Too much. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I realized that that was wrong. You know, that, that, that's a mistake. And I think, you know, now if, and you can probably vouch for this, not that our listeners will, will necessarily care, but you know, now my executive team couldn't be like more different from me. And, and I think that shift is actually what's allowed, you know, our, our company to thrive exactly to your point, which is if you've got a bunch of the same people walking around, it just, it becomes groupthink. It, right. it's, it absolutely becomes groupthink. And you need people on your team to be able to challenge you and, and, and tell you that you're wrong. You know, I think one thing we haven't talked about yet is like kind of fundamentally, you know, every team also winds up whether, um, but by choice or by accident, by, by having, a, having a leader, somebody always steps up. Right. Right. And leadership is, you know, um, a fundamental part of, of any team. And you can even, again, go back to like childhood sports or whatever it is like, if the coach, typically the coaches would appoint a captain, right? right? Or captains, but sometimes they didn't, but there would still be that kid on the team or in your, you know, squad or whatever, who rose to that level of kind of leadership of organization. But the challenge there is, is that the other people on the team have to feel comfortable and confident with sharing, you know, kind of feedback advice, counsel, you know, whatever it might be to the leader. But that's to say that the best teams go back to having trust and trust is created through leadership where you can have openness and expression um, of, of ideas. So you don't wind up in a non-diverse uh, groupthink team that is very linear um, in their thought and practice. Agreed. And a leader can say over and over again, <clears throat> I really want you guys, uh, you folks to tell me when, you know, what you're thinking, even if I don't agree with it, but the way they really prove it is they actually do listen. And, you know, and in the end, it's really the action rather than the words that opens up that uh, two-way communication. Um, so in the time we have left, I just want to shift a little bit, um, as you mentioned, we're a rapidly growing company and you're the CEO of a company that's doubled in size from an FTE count in less than uh, 24 months uh, and has uh, expanded from being uh, North American centric to being global. Um, and so one of the things you've had to do is think about restructuring the senior levels of the company. And those are essentially a number of teams, your senior team, and then their, essentially their senior teams. Um, how, how have you brought your view of teams to this uh, highly time compressed and complex uh, team building period? Yeah, well, um, you know, that's a work in progress. Uh, you know, I, I think you're in a corporate setting. The worst thing you can do when you're creating a team or you have a team is be married to rigidity. 
well, this person is in this role and, and they've done a good job, so they should stay here. You know, that will kill you, you know, for two reasons. The first is there actually might be somebody better suited for, for that job. But the second is actually, if you're really developing, you know, you, you know the way I, I, I view leadership is like, there is an executive team and every single one of them should have, if they want an opportunity to kind of like take my job, like, you know, like in a good way, right? Like, you know, they, they should be able to kind of kind of play that role if they needed to, right? If something were to happen, you know, you want to make sure, you know, that you have succession, right? That you have the ability to, to have somebody who has like a depth of experience in the event that something were to happen to, you know, leadership. That's, that's important. You should be building that all the time. But you also have to grow your team members, and, and the only way you're going to grow your team members is giving them um, some different experiences, you know, you know, at, at the executive level. And you, that is going to create institutional discomfort. Um, it can create some disruption, um, but that's healthy. And, and I think that that's a good thing. You know, if you, if you, if you're not going to get uncomfortable, then, you know, you can just continue to do the same thing the rest of your life. And, and hopefully there, there's a good result. Right. But, but the truth is, is that it's in the discomfort where you actually kind of learn something, you know, about the team and, and, and you actually nine times out of 10, you're going to find that, you know, well, Steve was in this role and was a fantastic contributor in this role that Steve actually began to thrive when in a much different way than you ever thought possible when when you swap them to do to do something else. The downside is that may have made Sally really upset. And now that maybe Sally's not doing as well, but that's where the team has to communicate with each other. The, one, one more thing here is, is that, you know, in as much as I said that every team has a leader, and they probably should, um, teams are also part, mini partnerships. And, and so if you think about it that way, and let's talk about maybe an executive structure because it's just, it's easier because there's kind of these defined titles, but you can take this down to any level of a team. You know, it's not just that the CEO has a relationship with the CFO and the CTO and the CPO and the COO. That, that's wrongheaded. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is that that C-suite is in multiple mini partnerships with each other. And, and it's a series of essentially concentric circles, you know, where everybody is at some point, you know, kind of in a partnership with somebody else. And, and so why everything come, comes back to trust is because the best partnerships and the worst partnerships that I've ever been a part of either had awesome trust or lacked trust because the, well, the, the macro level partnership may have been functioning and thriving the lower level partnerships where there should be um, kind of interaction and trust kind of eroded or fell apart. And so, you know, think about teams as, as many partnerships um, and the relationships that happen, not just from executive down or leader down, but that happen across. And, and that's how you fundamentally build trust. And that's how you fundamentally build a strong, a strong team. It also, as it cascades down through their teams, it sure. helps keep 
silos from becoming, um, you know, these calcified verticals where sales isn't talking to marketing, isn't talking to product development, you know, yeah. and on and on. Because if the leaders aren't speaking with one another, there's no incentive and there's no modeling. It's got to be dynamic, you know, and I'll tell people here, you know, at the, at the senior level, if you're not comfortable with the following statement, you know, you can't be part of our team. And the following statement is 30% of your job is going to be not your job in terms of a pure description, job so, description perspective. And if that makes you uncomfortable, that's okay. Like we'll, we'll find somebody who's cool with that notion, you know, because you don't want power pods. You don't want silos. Those are the death knell of companies, of teams, uh, sports teams. It doesn't matter. You know, once things get clicky, you're going to have a real, you're going to have a real problem. You need that kind of interconnectedness. You know, S Steve and Sally need to understand each other's pain before they can actually help each other. Um, and, and those are those mini partnerships. So couldn't, couldn't, couldn't agree more, Elliot. Okay. Well, <clears throat> we're coming to the end of our allotted time. Uh, Frank, thank you for another great conversation. We'll do this again next month. Um, and hopefully by then our folks in Ecuador will recruit in a couple of additional listeners. Um, but you have a great uh, weekend and uh, I will talk to you soon. Buenos dias.